Listener discretion advised by the sound contains salty language. So if you don't like that, turn it down now. No, now, like right now. Okay. Let's start this fucking show. (laughs) The, The first half hour, 45 minutes, there's just ass and titties everywhere, just everywhere. From the Coast Salish land of Seattle, we're By the Sound, your community-invested podcast. Each episode will speak with the brightest minds from Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. We'll discuss art and pop culture, as well as local news and politics. I'm Sarah Mays, sitting this week with Chelsea Alvarez and Aisha Hauser. On this week's show, we'll get to know more about Aisha. She'll also discuss the book, The Fuck It Diet, by Carolyn Dooner. Finally, we'll talk about the so-called Seattle Freeze, which probably isn't the name of our new hockey team. This is By the Sound. That was really professional. I loved it. (laughs) Smooth. So I love the smoothness of that. It was smooth featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. Oh my God, Rob Thomas. (laughs) Is that one song? That was a one-hit wonder, unless I'm missing, I don't know. Matchbox 20? No? Okay, never mind. They're they're not okay. They had hits. They're not okay, but they had hits. But smooth, as far as I know, is the only collaboration between... Rob Thomas of Matchbox Aren't 20 they related and Carlos to like Santana. Sugar Ray Santana. or something? Temporally, yes. Yeah. Spiritually, yes. <laughs> well, Carlos Santana kicked it up several notches for him, for them, but whatever. Are you a fan? Are you a Carlos Santana? Carlos Santana came to my college at Rutgers in Newark, New Jersey, where I'm from. I did not grow up in Seattle. It's very important for me to say that. Seattle did not make this. <laughs> Seattle. That's why I pitched the name non-native podcast I know. When, when we were first thinking yeah. about it. Because it, mm. um, it, it uh, Oh yeah, because you're not from here either. Oh no, I <gasps> Interlopers. Alabama. Aisha <laughs> <laughs> and I come from very distant and different right. backgrounds. Well, I was born in Egypt and raised in Jersey, so this whole Seattle thing is completely new to me. You're whole... a, it's a fish out of water comedy. Oh, so fish out of water and i'm like why y'all not just saying what you think what's with the nodding and smiling endlessly just tell me what's in your head so how you doing how are you doing <sighs> it's a lot in that sigh sarah a lot there's a story a story in that sigh well it was so like uh pleasant on thanksgiving day when i just put my phone in my purse and didn't touch. I even went for a fucking walk with the kids and the dog with no phone, with no phone. And I got lost. This was in like suburbia or uh-huh. I should say exurbia. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the fucking park, you know, with the dog and everything. It was like a group of us and we came back and I was really cold and um, I wanted a way to warm up. And I also hadn't, uh, been running in a while. So I decided to race my 14 year old son and I looked it up later on my phone. Um, we ran a mile and he beat me. It turns out by about 20 seconds, which fucking sucks. Cause I wasn't letting him win. Like I, <laughs> wow. That's awesome. um, so this was a true loss. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I was sure I could beat him, you know? Um, but no, he won, and he did it with such, like, ease, like it was just no big fucking thing. I'm, it just pissed me off. Anyway, near the end, I dropped my keys, 
uh, around the time he was going to cut into the house, um, I drop my keys and uh, I have to turn around to pick them up, assuring my loss. And then I start running and I hadn't really internalized that he turned. Mm. So I kept running <laughs> for like a fucking block and a half. Why is that hilarious though? Well, what was hilarious is that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dressed. I wasn't in workout clothes. Oh. I was like in Thanksgiving dinner clothes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm, I run past this family of like five white middle-aged siblings standing around in a driveway smoking cigarettes and having beers. They see this, this six foot tall trans lady, like hauling ass past them and in chasing somebody or being chased. Yeah. In fucking Monroe, Washington. Like this is like cul-de-sac country. And, and so then I, I go for another block and then I get scared because I don't, I don't see my son anywhere. Yeah. And I'd made a turn. Everything looks the same. Yes. It's the only time I haven't had my phone in like the last like. What, 12 years? Yeah. And so then I turn around. I'm like, okay, well, if I do this, then eventually I'll run into the group. They're way behind us. But Lord knows where my son is. He could be dead. You know, because it's like that's where serial killers live, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For sure. I think that's a known fact. So I. I turn around and I'm I'm walking really fast still because I want to find my people. Um, and then I walk real super fast by this family again, still out there smoking their cigarettes and having their beers. And they, I don't know what story they told themselves about what I was doing, but it was embarrassing. And by that point, I'm almost near tears because it, it was like I was yeah. legit lost. Yeah. yeah. For all I know, my like, 14 year old and all of his fuckery could have been like, you know, leading me on some like maze. Cause he does know that neighborhood anyway. Sorry. I didn't. You found him. Yeah. He's fine. He's fine. And you lost the race. And I lost the race. Anyway. You want to work through the loss a little more, Sarah? Well, it, I, I really did go right back to that place where I was like, four years old, like Mm. in a Montgomery, Alabama shopping mall, like wondering where the hell my grandparents are and every store looking the same. And me like starting to unpack a whole fucking Disney, uh, orphan drama in my head. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like catastrophizing began then. Yes. I have a very vivid memory of, I believe I was in the bond and discovered oh you guys aren't from here the bon marche bon Marche. no i know it was in oregon um discovering that the woman i was walking next to was not in fact my mother but was just wearing the same wash of jean and at some point i had like latched on to this new (laughs) pant leg yes (laughs) (laughs) and going into total fucking panic mode i'm going to die alone in this bon marche uh and going through like a whole like a Disney orphan story. And I never did find my mother. Yeah. So is that how you ended up in Moses Lake? <laughs> New pant leg? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's a longer story than that. Just kidding. Found my mom. You know what else I used to do with the bond uh, that must have driven my mom fucking bananas was I would get in the middle of the clothing racks. Oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got beat. In the middle. I mean, I have. <laughs> 
Arab, <laughs> Egyptian Jesus. parents. There was no way I was getting away. We had in the East Coast two guys when I was a kid. It was, a, I guess it sounds like maybe the same kind of. Two story. guys? Two guys it was called. No, the Bon oh, yeah. Marche. I don't know two guys, but the Bon Marche is not two guys. Two guys? That's two what it was called. That's the most fucking Jersey thing I've ever heard. Swear to God, it was called two guys. And we used to, it was what it was called. And so I went into the racks and I thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. It was and cool in there. It was cool. And then finally, I don't even know what made me come out. Oof, I got a whoop thing in front of everybody with my mother who's in hijab. I don't know how it didn't get taken away. <laughs> like in the middle of the store, they were all like, you're right. She had you on a merry romp trying to find. I think everybody's agreed with her <laughs> because I wasted everybody's time. They, were, I mean, this was the 70s. Don't yeah. forget. So yeah. They were just probably like getting a slap in. From what I've heard from my friends who work at department stores, um, they were probably just relieved that you did not poop in the center of, <laughs> of the one of those circular yeah. racks because yeah. that is yeah. a popular a place. Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community-invested podcast, what does that mean for our listeners? Ah, glad you asked. It means that in addition to hearing our conversations about local issues and interviews with our most interesting Seattle-area neighbors, fans of the show can join our listener community online by supporting the podcast on Patreon. Doing so will unlock access to our private Facebook group. What are we posting in the Facebook group? (laughs) Well, in addition to exclusive previews about what we'll be discussing on the show, we offer a curated stream of the best and most provocative local news stories each day. That's dope. How much will it cost to join? Our online community membership is available to all patrons starting at $5 per month. How else can fans of the show invest in this community? Our supporters on Patreon who contribute $10 or more per month will receive exclusive invitations to buy the sound meetups at Seattle area coffee shops, bars, and parks, where they could meet by the sound co-hosts, guests, and other local fans of the show. Sweet. Where should listeners go to donate? They can visit bythesound.net and click on the donate button. That's bythesound.net. Or go directly to patreon.com slash bythesound. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash by the sound. How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, I don't know what's going on most of the time. And I feel like the last month of my life has just flown by while I was looking in the other direction. Uh, but I'm okay. I'm still standing. But I heard a rumor you got a new job. I did get a new job. Where? Uh, I will be joining the communications team at SEIU 775. Woohoo! Woo! I'm Yay. excited. I'm really excited. And now some folks don't know, uh, uh, that's a union. Yes. Sounds like a union. Some folks uh, uh, aren't familiar with it. Can you tell us a little bit about SEIU? SEIU is the caregiver's union. So home care workers uh, are the primary uh, group that will be representing. There, um, there are 45,000 members. Uh, of National? Our local. Local. Oh, nice. Yeah. That is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So local Washington State? Washington State and Montana. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Isn't that something? It's because we have similar labor laws. Not Oregon, because Oregon sucks. 
<laughs> I'm not a fan of the whole state. The whole thing? I just don't love Oregon. The whole thing? Well, but have you been to the coast? I've been to Portland several times. It's just okay. There was a job opening there. A friend of mine tried to get me to go, and I'm like, I can barely handle Seattle. There's no fucking way I'm moving to Portland. Portland, I feel like, is um, Seattle's slightly irresponsible sibling. You know what I mean? Not the really irresponsible sibling, which is Olympia. But, like, Portland is our... Wait. No. What, what, say more. I'm sorry, you're wrong. I, I'm, I'm doing the math here, and I, I'm thinking actually Tacoma is the one that's that's always like uh, this family's a mess. It, it is a mess. It is a, <laughs> it's a mess. And actually, I don't think Portland is irresponsible. I think Portland, like you know, got straight A's and went to Vassar. No, I think Portland's a Fliberty gibbet. <laughs> yeah, Portland's Portland. a total fucking Fliberty gibbet. I mean, this is a this is like a West Coast family, so there's like. Which is its own thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, Portland did go to Vassar, but has, like, struggled. Um, there's, like, a weird boyfriend, maybe a polycule. We don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they left Vassar and came back to Lewis and Clark because the people were mean on the East Coast. They, they were, were like, mean on the East Coast. Oh, they sure. were they too were blunt. Like, Everyone that. was yelling and walking yeah. really fast. So they left. They, so they, they lasted left. a year at Vassar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just like thinking they're so far ahead of big, dumb, stumbling Seattle, like on a lot of choices they make, a lot of uh, decisions in life. For example, uh, building light rail. Mm-hmm. Um you know, great infrastructure. I'm not arguing. 25 years Portland ahead, has like great infrastructure, tearing down. I mean, the... if we're still going with this like sibling metaphor, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm not saying that like the eldest sibling, which obviously is Seattle here, yeah. is a superior person, I or am... that even like being responsible is like some virtue in and of itself. I'm just saying these are siblings with different priorities, different skill sets. Portland has its place in the family. Uh, but, like, what are they even fucking doing? They suffer from different issues. I'm the one who started the shitting on Oregon thing. So <laughs> I feel like Chelsea's defending something that came out of my mouth. I have a friend who tells me not to um, not to write checks that my ass can't cash. Mm, that's good advice. That's a total, like, East Coast thing to say. My friend India. Hey, India from Baltimore. Um, so she says that to me quite often. And she's like, the problem is your ass can cash them. So, anyway, I digress. So I'm not a fan of Oregon. I just feel like we can't. But how are you? (laughs) (laughs) No, I want to get into this because this is interesting. Like, Oregon's a big-ass state, and Portland is one city. It's probably the best one in the... I mean, if you're... I mean, I go to Portland. I've been to... What's the... Salem? Is that the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's where I went to high school. Yeah. How do you feel about Oregon? Yeah, (laughs) I I spent junior high, high school, and college in Oregon. Um, And I feel like it would be weird uh to live there now because it's so 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 white and i'm just like you know uh, uh, folks come here from a lot of come to seattle from a lot of places and are overwhelmed by the whiteness uh and you know i've lived in places that are uh more diverse and so i did notice the whiteness of seattle when i got here um but comparatively if i went back to anywhere in oregon now I think it would be overwhelming, and that's um, that's not the kind of place 
I want to live. However, I love the the coast so much. I've never lived there, but my favorite place to like vacation is the Oregon coast. Like my favorite kind of beach is the type of beach that I wear hiking boots on. And it, it's just the beauty and the, the bigness of it all. Uh, I would love to like retire there mm. um, on the coast, but not for any reason having to do with the people. Uh, so how are you doing, Aisha? Yeah, I'm good. I turned 49 last week and my kids are home for the week. So my kids are young adults. They're both in college. And it only took about 48 hours and they were like back to 12 and mm. fighting and bickering. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> So that's been fun. And I do, it's been, it really has been fun. It's fun having them home and the house is just alive and there's a lot more dishes and our food's getting eaten. Um, so that's been cool. And I'm, I'm good. I have, um, a lot of writing deadlines. So I'm writing a book called collaborative leadership for collective liberation, smash the patriarchy. Uh, is this a uh, cookbook? No, but it should be. Oh my God. It's funny you say that. Oh my God. Okay. So it's not a cookbook. However, it sort of is. So I'm co-writing it with the minister, Reverend Deanna Vandiver, who's amazing. And, um, it's, so it's basically, it's geared toward churches, but really anybody can use it. And instead of saying, here's the formula, we're using the word recipe. Cause I'm trying to get people, their brains to work differently. Not trying, but maybe if the language is different, like what's the recipe for effective collaborative leadership, and then people with like advanced degrees will say, I don't know what that looks like. And I'm like, you can't extrapolate what that means, really? Like just the words collaborative and leadership. Anyway, so I'm good. I'm feeling good. Um, I am very happy to be here. It's fun to be together and do this cool thing. Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community invested podcast, what does that mean for our guests? It means that we pay them. Every guest interviewed is paid an appearance fee. Is it normal for podcasts to pay their guests? No. People say all the time that our time is our most valuable commodity, and yet most guests on radio and podcasts aren't paid a dime for their appearances. Huh. Our show's supporters who donate on Patreon help us to pay our local guests, and in doing so, they're investing in our local community. Are there other ways our Patreon supporters can help us pay our local guests? Yes. By the Sound community members who sign up for the Discovery, Westlake, or Gasworks membership levels are able to designate their first one to two months donations to a particular local guest of their choosing. If we are able to get an interview with the person they've chosen, then that guest will receive the amount that was pledged for them in addition to our normal guest payment. This is a great way for fans of the podcast to help us choose our guest, create a platform for interesting local people to share their voices, and to reinvest in our own community. Nice! How do listeners get in on this deal? They can visit buythesound.net and click the donate button. That's buythesound.net. Or they can go directly to patreon.com slash buythesound. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash by the sound oh i saw my mom oh my god sister so i haven't seen my mom who lives in dc and my she lives with my sister in about two years and my mom i was raised i was born in egypt raised strict muslim um was asking me what i believe about god that was a painful conversation wow. oh wow yeah because she's very strict muslim so she's all into the heaven and hell i'm like well i don't believe in hell and she got like pissed oh. she's like no 
what do you mean you don't believe it? I don't understand. You know only 30% of people are going to heaven. And I'm like, so here's my, I'm telling my 30%, husband. 30%? That's like 30%, the number? Apparently. So my husband goes, didn't you ask her blah, 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 blah? And I go, you think I asked follow-up fucking questions? <laughs> you think in this, like, I'm trying to tell her I believe in universalism that <clears throat> whatever God is, is, you know, loves everybody. And um, yeah, so that was a little bit of a painful conversation because then she's asking how I pray and I'm like, she prays like legit five or six times a day yeah. in a very um, prescripted way. Yeah. And I clearly don't. So, and it was, you know, it's good to see her. She's my mom. It's good. But yeah, I mean, since this is a public podcast, I'm going to stick with that. Um, and it's, you know, she disowned me for 16 years. So oh, wow. our relationship's never been the same. How did you get re-owned? So that was an interesting story. Um, and so she left in 91, left the country when I was 20. And I told her my boyfriend is Jewish. Um, she came back in 2007 really to meet her two only grandchildren. So they were nine and six at the time. And uh, she, well, first I wasn't going to call her at all because I'm like, yeah, getting disowned the first time around sent me to a lot of therapy. So I wasn't going to do that again. So then my aunt, my mother's one of 11, one of my aunts, she had never called me. So I pick up the phone and it's my aunt who starts yapping. And I'm like, I would have been less surprised if the Pope called me. Like there was no reason for her to call me. (laughs) And she's like, you know, your mother wants to meet her grandchildren. And then I knew she wasn't going to disown me again. So I'm like, okay. And the, so I went to, I got an MSW. So that means a lot of my friends are therapists. So the upside of that is you get free therapy. So I call one of my friends and I'm like, okay. I'm going to go see my mom. It was the day before Mother's Day. And I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell her this, this, and this. And I'm going to have a whole set of rules. And she goes, no, you're not. You're going to go. You're going to keep it light. The kids are going to make her cards because too much has happened. It's too big. Like You're not going to go and have this discussion that is going to go nowhere. And it was the best advice. So the kids made her cards. Like I said, they were nine and six. And uh, so we got Wayne, my husband and the kids, um, came and, um, so she brought them gifts, you know, that were long gowns. Like my daughter, was a little bit like a burka, a burka and black. And I'm like, mom, she's nine. Like, can we take that down several notches? And she, so, but you know, she got them gifts and then my mom got pissed and she didn't understand my annoyance about the gift. She's like, (gasps) so she turns to my daughter and she's like, Layla, this uh, I got black because pink is uh, low class, and I'm like, oh wow, uh, nope, that was not my issue. Was not okay. And then I like then I you know my kids don't speak Arabic, so I'm telling my mother in Arabic to like to- tone it down, and she turns to me and she's like, you asshole, son of a bitch, and I'm like, whoa, and my kids now think this is the funniest shit in the world. And my son is six at the time, and so I said, don't say that in front of them in English. She goes. And then she looks at my son and goes, your mother, she's a son of a bitch asshole. I kick her ass. So she, yeah. So then I go to leave the room and my mother follows me and starts literally acting like she's going to kick me in the ass physically. And she's lifting her. She's like all of five, two. And she's lifting her foot ready to kick me. And my son is like. Because of the thing about the dress. Because I, yeah, because I tried to challenge her. All right. Okay. And she was, well, she was probably just waiting for it. Yeah. She was waiting. I mean, she was, (laughs) she now had an audience. So now my kids are laughing. My son, who's like, where have you been hiding this delightfully deranged woman? Like, what? (laughs) This is awesome. Like, why, why, why haven't we not been exposed? So it was actually quite funny. Um, 
to them and then I was like wow but and and I was able to laugh about it later but it was like shit this is crazy so we've she's never come to my house because that's the line in her head because I never converted back to Islam and so she kind of the way she makes it okay is I can visit her but she won't visit me so I uh, to be clear though is it uh that it would be um Unholy to so uh, women are not allowed to marry out of the faith according to uh, the Quranic law. And your husband is not Muslim. Right. Yeah. So he um and has never been, and she's tried to get him to convert, and I'm like, no, thank you. So um. And it was your marriage to him yeah. that caused this we rift in the, we in the even, first place. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. She left. Yeah. We were dating, and I told her the truth, and she left the country, and I didn't see her for 16 years. And then I got threatened with death by two different people who's like, it's every Muslim's duty to kill you. Holy shit. Yeah. Two different people that you knew personally? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were pissed. And one of my cousins, who I reconnected with after my mother reowned me, was like, so you could have, like, gone for a Christian. Like, why'd you go? I'm like, what? Are you kidding me right now? That's the issue? Like, who? I mean. As opposed to Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. But that wouldn't have made a difference. I still would have been disowned because it's a patriarchal faith. And so the lineage of the religion goes through the father, um, which is also very heteronormative, which is a whole other discussion. But so um, that like when she was disowning me, I said, look, I'll stay Muslim. He'll stay Jewish. And then I'll raise the kids Muslim. And she was like, no, you can't. And then 16 years later, my cousins are like, all right, how about you just come back to Islam and he could be what he wants? I'm like. That statute of limitations has passed. I read that <laughs> offer is off the table. I was there when I was 20. It is gone. I have learned at that point I was already a Unitarian, Universalist, and I'm like, no. Not that they don't have Sorry, issues, oh, but by what age had you become uh, I was in my thirties. Like Layla was okay. my daughter was five and comes home and she's like, I think she says to her dad, Jesus is the light of the world. He's like, No, he isn't. We're Jewish. <laughs> and I'm like, Well, so um yeah. So then we we started going to the Unitarian Church. Wait, so is Jesus or is he not the light of the world? Well, so according to Islam, what I grew up with is Jesus is a prophet and a revered prophet. And the story of the virgin birth is in the Quran. Like I've told Mm -hmm. it at a Christmas Eve service. So it's actually a beautiful story. Um, But um, Jesus, according to the Muslim faith, is not the son of God. But he was born of a virgin birth, which is an interesting. He's just like a cool like, guy, cool guy, weird birth, cool guy, weird birth. I mean, to me, it's like if you're going to believe in the virgin birth, it feels like not quite a leap to go the whole way. But listen, this is not my, you know, sure. Um, so is that your question? Oh, so Jesus. No, well, not in the, so the thing is her best. My daughter's best friend at the time was like evangelical Christian. Uh, so everything was about Jesus. Yeah. Like everything, everything. So that that was more where she was coming from, where I was, and she was five, and I'm like, oh, so we need to do something. So and there is that five is actually the age where children start questioning, they're, they they're into abstract thinking. So, yeah. And God is abstract, right? Monsters and yeah. whatever. So that's kind of that's how I and then and then uh, and then I did get married at twenty two weeks shy of my twenty third birthday. I was super young, and um, we yeah. So then we had two children, have them. And now they're young adults, which is wild that they like are adults and have their lives. And we can't really tell them what to do anymore. We kind of could, but we could suggest, we could strongly suggest things. And they're fun now. I mean, the older they get, my son has a wicked sense of humor. <laughs> One time he goes, oh, you're going to kill me for saying this, but I have to share. So my, uh, we were living in Cartagena, Colombia at the time. And my friend came to visit and she had on 
don't ask me why. She had an all white and it was, she was, had her period. So she goes, Aish, can you check and make sure I'm not leaking? You know, like we did in, in middle school. And so I'm like, no, you're fine. And my, my son goes, he must have been maybe 11 or 12 at the time. He goes, you know, mom, uh, every now and then I say to myself, dear penis, thank you for not bleeding once a month. <laughs> I'm like, and he will say shit like that all the time. Like he's just a funny kid. He's always been a funny kid. So when uh, he and his sister were were still kids, uh, you and your husband um, started going to the Unitarian Church, and now you're a uh, re- an educator. Yeah, I'm a religious educator. So I've been doing that for 16 years, and basically, I I create program. I don't create. Well, I mean, sometimes I create programs, but it's that I facilitate, lead, train teachers, inspire volunteers to lead programs in the congregation. So, and and my favorite thing about being a religious educator is the Our Whole Lives Sexuality Education Program, and it's super sex positive, and it's holistic, and we teach, um, kin- there are several levels from kindergarten through older adult, and it teaches, it's completely age appropriate, and it's uh, not heteronormative at all goes out of its way to wow. not be heteronormative and very different families and you know, the spectrum of sexuality and gender. Um, so it's a great program and, um, it's a sex positive program and there's very few like it in the country. And so if you do nothing else at a Unitarian church, find it, we call it owl for short, find an owl program, take your children, go as an adult. I think there would be world peace if people were more sexually healthy and uh, affirming um, of all genders and sexualities and sexual orientations. And they were one of the first faiths to uh, approve of uh, gay marriage. One right? of the first, yeah. We had ministers go to jail um, because they were marrying same same gender couples, and um, yeah. So we're in that respect still learning on race, of course, as all of white America is. However, on sexuality. Um, Definitely on the forefront of something, still working on uh, being more uh, generous and gentle and um, affirming of the trans community. I mean, we're definitely, we have a lot of trans ministers. Um, and trans just men- in- ministers, wow. yeah, Holy trans, shit. yeah, a few. And, and, and in fact, um, this year, a few of them were called to churches, and that took a very long time, even though there's been trans ministers who were ordained maybe 20 years ago, maybe longer, um, and and didn't do, had a hard time still finding congregations. So even though congregations were like, yeah, we're affirming of everyone, we don't really want you to be our minister. So that's changing. Um, yeah. Well, and was the, was Unitarianism rooted in uh, abolition? So Unitarians want to think so. It really wasn't. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of Unitarians and Universalists, there were two separate faiths before 1961, were social justice oriented. However, the Unitarian faith actually was uh, came out of the Protestant Reformation, and, and um, Michael Cervades was actually uh, uh, burned at the stake by the Catholic Church because he was like, hey, the Bible doesn't really support a Trinitarian uh, Trinitarianism, hence Unitarian. Um, that there's one God, not three. So, and then universalism is a uh, U.S. Uh, well, that I think England. I shouldn't. I didn't go to seminary. Um, I did other things. But uh, John Murray is a white male, you, you, British from England, came over, 
and brought universalism and universalism it doesn't believe in folks don't believe in hell they believe in the universal love of god it did start as a christian faith so in 61 in the 50s both the unitarians and universalists had a lot of youth things together uh events and such and they were both kind of on the same page with not really pushing the jesus christian or like retelling the jesus story like jesus the carpenter's son was a book written by a religious educator named sophia faz um so then they became a faith in 61 and and chose not to have a creed a creed less faith so there is no statement of belief you have to make you could be we have atheists we have pagans we have um a lot of interfaith families who don't want to hear um anti anything for you know about the other family so um in that respect we're pretty affirming and pluralist we're not perfect but we're kind of and are, are these the values that really brought you to it with your, your yeah. family? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the first, when I went and brought my kids, I said to the religious educator, um, do you, do you teach about hell? She's like, good Lord, no. And as soon as she took the Lord's name in vain, I was psyched. So they don't <laughs> teach my, my, my one thing was I didn't want my children. No one should ever be told they are not loved by God, whether or not you believe in God. Like everyone is affirmed for the, in the fullness of their who they are in the fullness of their humanity and that's what drives me in this faith is like everyone should be affirmed and maybe it's because i grew up being told i'm gonna go to hell like every yeah. wrong move that i never ever wanted that for my kids or any anybody's children There's you no had such a 30 percent as... chance of going to hell i mean what the fuck is that 30 percent. so fuck it there's no hell how about that uh, <laughs> so i decided you know i i'm i'm a, a resolute atheist um but i like this math because i heard <laughs> I, I heard the other day uh, that according to internal studies that were, were done at uh, Uber or Lyft about tipping, um, they, they had a, prof- a professional economist on staff. And um, so they, they do these very controlled like mass experiments on all of us who use these ride hailing apps. And they found that only 1% tips every single time. And so I heard that and I grew a fucking halo over my head because (laughs) even if somebody, yeah, even if somebody is like a total fucking asshole or, or, or annoys the shit out of me, um, I'm like, I get my revenge by only giving them like 10% tip. Yeah. I always tip. I never (laughs) not tip. I never not. I would feel guilt. I mean, I think one time, I don't know why I didn't tip. Maybe it, maybe, I don't know, but I always sit because I feel bad if I don't, and if I don't over tip, I feel bad. I don't always tip. Really? I don't. Say more. Um, it's very normal, I hear. Yeah, apparently it's very normal. <laughs> I don't feel, I don't feel good about it, but uh, sometimes I don't tip if, God, I'm such an asshole, if they talk to me too much. <gasps> oh. I know. And they're told, and some people I think are told to talk because people like it. I know. I hate it though. I need to be left alone. And I have headphones in 100% of the time, which yeah. is my signal. I also literally wear a button on my uh, jacket that says, don't talk to me. Oh, people I think it's do funny. Not, it's, it's not, not ironic. fucking joking. You need to have another button that says, this is unironic and an arrow to the button <laughs> saying, don't talk to me. Yeah, I do. You know what they should include in the app is do you want conversation? Yeah, they should. And people should have the I option. would like to be able to let them know yeah. beforehand That's instead of like idea. my weird passive aggressive yeah. shit. Yeah. But that would be so easy that it makes me wonder if it's a bad idea because <laughs> it's it's like being able to navigate that sort of like social exchange like 
sharpening our, our, our muscles to understand like the cues people are giving us for, for warmth or coldness, Yes, whether they're freezing us. This is, this seems to, but I, I, before we get into that, I wanted to, uh, cause I'm fascinated by, um, your faith. Oh yeah. Uh, because frankly, I mean, another part of living in the Pacific Northwest, I don't know many people who are actively religious, much less a, a an educator or mm-hmm. someone who speaks at, at church on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, I love you, Aisha. I love so, you, Sarah. <laughs> that, that you do that and, you know, you are such a, a kind and welcoming person yeah. is something that I don't necessarily expect from the faithful. Yeah. So um, what for you to seek out like, you know, this, this time investment that you put into going to church, like, is, is it on Sunday? Oh yeah. For the, okay. I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, that seems like a big deal to me because, you know, bed is awfully warm and cozy and you're doing that. And yeah. so what is faith giving to you yeah. in your life? Like in lieu of the, the faith that you were raised in? Yeah. I'm also in uh, president elect of the Liberal Religious Educators Association. Oh my, Loretta. Yeah, so I'm in. Um, liberal, as in politically liberal. As in uh, religiously liberal. I mean, okay, we okay. tend to be politically liberal, but it's not. The name comes from liberal religion that we don't mandate a belief. You're so not punitive. We're not punitive. Yeah, that's um, amazing. We don't tell anyone they're going to hell. It's not a thing. Um. What what drives, I think, so I grew up, my parents divorced when I was seven. My father died by the time I was 13. So I was raised by a really strong-willed single mother and her strong will came from God. And so growing up like under the, under the shadow of this, I don't even know what the word is, like this angry God that was waiting to catch me do something wrong, which is, it was anxiety producing. Like yes. I was a really anxious kid. And then I did everything my mother wanted. This is leading up to where, why I do what I do. My whole, like I wasn't allowed to join. I'm an extrovert with a capital E, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I do love talking to people like extra points. Let's talk. Um, and I wasn't allowed to join a sport. I was so senior year in high school. So I grew up watching way too much TV as a result of not being allowed out ever so the prom was the th- u.s thing right, right. oh yeah you yeah. like you live for the prom and i grew up in the 80s so everything was prom movies right yes. my mom i said okay i did everything you wanted like did not go you know not join a sport not join a club and i i asked her to go to the prom and she said no and i couldn't fucking believe it i'm like wait a minute and i begged for a year my senior year i spent crying with my and she was pissed like it was annoying her how much i was crying and this is where you discovered you had telekinesis and then I realized, <laughs> and, and she wouldn't let me go. And I realized, and here's what she did. This is so weird. She let me go to New York City by myself with a group of friends. Like, I lived in northern New Jersey, so it was just a path right away from New York City. But didn't let me. Like, as I got older, I'm like, that was way, because I had a, it was way fucked up. So, P.S., something about that broke me. Like, wait a minute. So, I can do everything, and still, you don't trust me. My poor mother. Hopefully, she'll never hear this. Um... Well, she smacked me in the face for standing too close to a guy who turned out to be gay. A whole nother thing. Hmm. Um, so after that experience, and then um, I did meet someone named Brother Robert Clark. He was a Catholic chaplain, believe it or not, on a campus ministry. Super nice and open. And when I met him, I was still into the, the whole Muslim thing. And I was 17. 
And he was like, oh, I said, what are you about? And he had a table and he's like, oh, I'm Catholic ministries, whatever. And I'm like, well, I am Muslim and blah, blah, blah. And this is why everybody should be Muslim. And I was like, arrogant as fuck. And I said, so tell me why I should be Catholic. He goes, oh, I don't think you should. I think you should do what you need to. There's many paths to God. And I was like, what? what? I'm like, what? <laughs> so after I met him and he's still my friend. So we've been friends over 30 something years, whatever the math is. Um, I'd, I would say, I would joke, like, I want to grow up to be Brother Rob because he was so, he was the example to me of a faithful person who wasn't shitty and wasn't just about this vengeful God. And when I became Unitarian, I'm like, and then there was opportunity for a super part-time religious educator job for a small church. I'm like, I want to do that. And I realized um, affirming people need community and people find it, whether it's at a coffee shop, at the Y, because that's what we're born to do um and wouldn't it be great if we can have a place one of the things that unitarians say is we affirm the search for truth and meaning and so to have a place to come together and be affirmed in the fullness of who you are while you're on the search to me is um beautiful now not that there aren't problems in unitarian universalism however uh it's the you know having a place to really be and question and struggle is something that really speaks to me. And now, and then uh, in 2015, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism was started by Leslie Mack and uh, Lena Gardner and uh, Kenny Wiley and a whole group of folks that I can name. Um, and that is exclusively for black folks. That has even been more affirming of um, black liberation theology and queer black space. Um, I'm not queer and <laughs> it's being in a space that's affirming of everyone is, is sacred, is sacred. And I felt it regardless of whether or not I believe in an afterlife or heaven or hell, I've experienced sacredness here being in spaces where people are uh, affirmed and loved in the fullness of who they are. So that's my very long answer. <laughs> Well, and it's 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 striking to me how brave uh, all of that is. Uh, I think you're a Gryffindor. <laughs> Thank you. To get to my faith. No, not really. <laughs> Something I identify with in your story is being raised by uh, strong women who were simul- simultaneously not only strong, but also clinging to a an aggressively patriarchal faith. Yes. It's... It, it, there are so many mixed messages in that. It is really hard to reconcile as you grow into your gendered self and um, to be able to see what is unjust, craft your, your own identity and find your own path uh, and, and do so um, really, I think, as an act of radical love is... Uh, I, I, very admirable and uh, Christ-like, I think, and I, I use that term not as a follower right. of Christ, but an admirer of the idea of Christ that I've often been told by people who aren't so Haiti. Cool you know? dude, weird birth. <laughs> I don't, I you know, I don't believe in the weird birth part, but uh, assuming he was a real guy, most of what we're told about him, I think, is a really great model for how to live, and that's something I tell my sons is go into the trades yes find some tight rows yes uh be sex worker positive yes uh overturn some tables anti-capitalist yeah. yes but capitalism and love your neighbor yeah amen hello like son. 
<laughs> so the real reason I brought y'all here is because uh, we're going to start a church. Nice. Oh, okay, cool. I, okay. Can, it, can we start a cult? I always wanted to start a oh, cult. Oh, fuck yeah. I feel yeah. like I'd make a really great you charismatic would. cult leader. Oh, you would, though. Oh, yeah. You totally have that vibe. Chelsea. High key, it's my life goal. Yeah. And mind you, it's not that hard to do. No, it's not. It really isn't. You, you just gotta totally do it. The, I need to figure out the aesthetic. My favorite cults have a really like tight aesthetic. Mm. Always. Always. So first, I don't know. I would start with the hair, but I mean, you're you're the fashion consultant, but like yeah, making a, a clear decision about hair. I think the first decision is the color story. I think the color. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, you're gonna do time. it. Yeah. yeah. Lavender. I'm going to abuse the fuck out of power. So I discovered the fuck it diet this summer. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it's based on health at every size. So I've decided after many years of dieting and my third time on Weight Watchers, I'm not doing that anymore. And I realized looking at pictures of myself when I thought I was fat, I was. So I probably had body dysmorphia going on. So again, I was like this summer, I'm like, oh, I can't gain weight. And then I said, you know what? And I and I don't even know what I was Googling for, actually. But the fuck it diet comes up. I'm like, huh, the fuck it diet. It's dedicated to cheese. <laughs> That's what I So I'm like, well, obviously, I need to get this book. Yeah. And um. So it's partly memoir of this woman who's an actress, a white woman who was also like taking pills to lose weight and finally was like, what the fuck am I doing? Um, And so so it's partly based on the book Health at Every Size and the science of how really we are not supposed to fucking diet. That's not what we're duh. Okay, but it's super funny. Like one of the things she's like, okay, and then there's this book about how French women eat. And then the woman, the, the book is like, eat half a banana because bananas are too big. She's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, who the fuck? Like, it's exactly. And I'm like, oh my God, I had actually read about not eating like all the fruit. Yeah. Why the fuck can't you eat fruit? Like, has anybody stopped to think about how fucked up this, even the talking about what, how many fucking bananas you can eat or half a banana? Cause one, so. It is really biblical. I mean, it's like, what the actual fuck? So there was something that, and I had already read The Body's Not an Apology last summer by Sonia Renee Taylor. And so reading The Fuck It Diet, because again, like I have to keep reading The Body's Not Apology because I intellectually believe it. Um, and growing up, so Egypt was colonized by the British. My mother still curses the British, like fuck you, England. Um, and so what's internalized now, I also need to say Egypt, um, indigenous people of Egypt are Nubian. So black, black, black. Right. And, and because of, um, the kind of the, the trades and many, many thousands of years of, um, people coming in and out of Egypt. That's not the right word that I'm trying to think of. So, so there's always been a mix and there's intense anti-blackness in Egypt, which is like just awful. So, um, that is to say what I internalized is straightening my hair when I was growing up and I need to be thin and I need to blah, blah, blah. And then, so, so now I'm like, I'm not battling my body anymore. It's fucking bullshit. Um, so I read Sona Renee Taylor and I'm like, I'm not, and then, you know, I hadn't read her in about eight months and then I'm like, I need to diet again. And then I read the fuck it diet and I'm like, fuck it. I'm not doing this. So, and uh, in the book, uh, the body's non apology, there's also reflection and meditation. You can also journal, but there was some, there's been something very powerful about that, that I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, are you kidding me? Like why I'm going to buy clothes that fit and not hold on to clothes that haven't fucking fit in like 10 years. What's that about? Yeah. And I'm buying fun shoes. 
And it's, when I was dieting and I did make, I kind of feel like I went on Oprah's journey a little bit that, um, I hit size 10 and, and I was like, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. That's a bunch <laughs> of fucking bullshit. There's a ton of shit that tastes better than skinny feels. And so fuck you. Now I'm like, oh no, like I'll eat something really good now and be like, this tastes much better than fucking skinny. Thank you very much. But it felt so good. And now I'm like, and now I realize like, oh, there is, I love to cook too. And I love to eat. Um, In fact, my first Weight Watchers meeting, I don't know, 15 years ago, this woman's talking about like what to eat. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I know what to eat or not to eat, but what if you just like food? And everybody started cracking up and I'm like, um, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like I genuinely, like the issue isn't that I don't know eight pieces of fried chicken are an issue. It's that I like fried chicken. Like this isn't. But now reading the fuck it diet, it's like, that's actually not a problem. Yeah. Eat whatever fucking chicken you want. Like, because, and if you're enjoying it and it's not, the other premise of the book is if you're not, our brain is, our brains are very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. If you, when, when you diet, your brain thinks it's going into starvation mode and you immediately become, we be, go back to when we were, yeah. we were, you know, um, hunters and gatherers. So when your brain realizes it can eat as much as it wants, you're going to be the way you're supposed to be. And that's the other thing that's great about the movement of health at every size is that we're not all supposed to be one size. Like there is no one thing. It's all based on our genetics. And so it, you know, reading that for me and, and, and really it's, it's more than reading it. It's really internalizing who I am, how I show up, the things I've learned in the last few years, deconstruct, decolonizing my mind. Mm -hmm. So to go back to, I read the fuck it diet and loved it. And it's just been transformational in a lot of ways. So Aisha, uh, something you mentioned um, was how your Unitarian faith um, was most useful in helping you to find community, which as an extrovert is something you thirst for um, in any case. And so I think since Chelsea and I are probably more towards the introvert range, um, you might be best to set us up for uh, the Seattle freeze. And uh, as our starting off point, we have this article. Um, well, why don't you tell, take the it away? Seattle Times columnist Jean Balk uh, wrote a op-ed called Most People in Seattle Are From Somewhere Else. So what does that say about the quote, Seattle freeze, question mark. So his data starts out with three out of 10 Seattle adults were born in Washington. Five out of 10 were born in another United States state. And two out of 10 were born in another country. I'm one of those people because I was not born in this country. I was born in another state. I was also born in another state. And his first question is, is the infamous Seattle freeze a real thing or... Um, are we a city of icy, unwelcoming introverts? If it is just a myth, it's certainly a persistent one because it's not a myth, dude. Um, so I also attribute it to conflict avoidant, passive aggressive behavior. I've heard people blame it on the Scandinavians. I don't know what it is, but it's a thing. It was. It took me about a year to figure out what the fuck was going on here. And if it was just plain unfriendliness or... See, I'm going to take that back. It's not that people are outwardly unfriendly. They're just either aloof or don't like to disagree. Like I've made people cry with my disagreement. So it took me a while to, to even like, I said, Seattle's growing on me like mold. Um, but I started to find more. I believe um, moss, moss is, is the... the word. Yeah. Moss. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
my daughter sat me down maybe our second or third year here and she goes mom I know it's hard for you. You're used to being with all your friends and going out all the time and you're not doing that here. I know. It was so like, aw. It was very sweet. So then I started going to the theater and Homo for the Holidays, Gay Burlesque. It is now a yearly thing I do. It's now Jingle All the Gays. Yeah. Love it. So, but it's real. I think the Seattle freeze is real. It's a Seattle thing. Well, and to your credit, um, you know, by your own, uh, actions, not my own. Um, you've become one of the people I feel most comfortable approaching to do a thing. Mm. Um, so I, I hope that during your time here, that's been rewarded because I'm, um, my Patronus, uh, if you will, is a house cat. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think maybe you're closer to this, uh, Chelsea, and I definitely am like a house cat, uh, conflict avoidant. That doesn't mean I can't get in uh, and hiss um, and and maybe even scratch if the if if it calls for it. But um, it's so much more pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I get I see how that is um, resting on a lot of my personal white privilege to go to a lot of effort to maintain comfort and uh, uh, my own like sense that everything is okay, my own personal peace and that that maintaining my own peace is sometimes happening at the expense of other people's peace and I need to be open to that. Uh, but do you think I, it's real? Do you think the Seattle freeze is real? I think it's real, but I think it's seasonal affective disorder. Mm. I think uh, most of Seattle is depressed most of the time. And that makes it a lot harder to get together and get out and do things. I think that what people, ex the, the, the complaint that I hear about the Seattle freeze is I ask people to do things and they say they want to do it and then they cancel last minute, which in some cases, I probably has to do with uh, conflict avoidance or passive aggression, but most of what I see is people agreeing to things in the moment because they're feeling okay and optimistic, and then when it gets close to the event, being like, fuck. And I experience that constantly. I am a plan canceller uh, because I experience uh, chronic depression, especially this time of year my depression is not limited <laughs> to the winter months uh -huh. but it gets a lot more intense once the sun goes away and I have I have not had a social engagement in about three weeks because I haven't had the energy I would love to feel up to doing something with someone but I don't and I think that um something that has been interesting about having more friends that are chronically ill that are on the spectrum is that they will say to me outright, I cannot do the thing. Please keep asking me to do the things. And that's something that I have adopted because I do want to be asked. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to actually do it. And I think building up, uh, honesty around that and 
owning that um, we want to do the thing but don't know if it's going to be accessible is a way of counteracting the Seattle freeze. I think what we refer to as the Seattle freeze is just uh, hurt and disappointment. Like the reaction that we're having is hurt and disappointment and feeling rejected because of other people's shit. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've, um, I've realized, you know, I've also dealt with depression, not in a seasonal effective way. And I, I think that seasonal issue brings it to a critical mass that it's going to affect all uh, of the people here because we have months of gray. The gray will maybe not this year, but most years start to come in around uh, October. And then it's like, oh, okay, so we can expect this gray to last um, until May, at which point we think it's done, but no, it's going to last till June. Um, and it's not going to actually warm up until the 4th of July. Uh, right. Which th- that night could be chilly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about climate change another time, but, um, I've, I've had depression, um, but I found I'm doing quite well right now. Personally, I wouldn't say I'm in a, a depressed state. And even though, um, uh, the, the seasons are changing right now at the beginning of December, Um, And that has a lot to do with a lot of very focused and intensive work I've done this year. And since I am in an abnormally uh, healthy mood right now, and I am getting out in the city most days and seeing a lot of people, I have noticed a really strong change Mm. um, over the last few weeks. Yeah in uh the amount of smiles and the kind of energy that i am getting from other people every day and and it's strange actually to see at this time of year to feel good and to see what is happening to the people around me so i think that uh seasonal affective disorder thing is is a big part of it i agree um when you said that, Chelsea, I was like, yeah, that explains a big part of it. And I actually am fine when people cancel plans. Um, I'm not fine when people aren't honest with me. And that's the part that I've had trouble with. I found uh, it's only been in the last four or five years, and I've lived in Seattle for 20 years now, uh, that I have been aware of seasonal affective disorder when it's happening. Mm. Prior to that, it would be like when the sun came back and suddenly I felt like a person again, I'd be like, oh, shit, that's what that was. I was fucking depressed. And like now it starts to hit and I'm like, oh, here it is. Yeah. Here's here's my old buddy. Yeah. Uh, So from personal experience, I wasn't being honest with myself. I didn't have the self-awareness to understand that like this was a cyclical thing that like I wasn't just tired today mm. and yesterday and yeah. the day before yeah. and gonna be tired tomorrow. Uh, now, am I doing anything about it? <laughs> do you have one of those lights that people I tell do, me about? I do, I yeah. do. 
Um, Does that help? On the days that I remember to use it, yeah. It oh, definitely okay. helps. I have a big one, and it's very bright, and it's right by my bed. Um, it's shaped like a pyramid. Uh, it's very <laughs> aesthetic. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't like his article because I just didn't think it went anywhere. It's like, no, there's no oh. Seattle freeze because everybody's from somewhere else. I'm like, Well, I don't think that he's mean... really a, a, an op-ed writer so much oh. as um, a, a, st- a statistics cruncher. You so. know what he is, though, is a babe. I had to look oh, up what I've he looked been. like because I thought he was Gene Shalit. <laughs> like I read Gene Balk and I was like, oh, the mustache. Oh, no. I was like, wait a minute, that's not. That <laughs> doesn't I have track. to look him up now. So then I had to Google him and like, your boy is ripped. All right, so um, <laughs> Gene What's up, Balk. Gene? Hey, Gene. Oh, he yeah. He's. I mean, although he's got facial hair. Are you against facial hair? Uh, not against it. Not a huge fan, but not against it. He's got arms. He's got arms. Yeah. He's got arms. arms. Uh, so Google Gene Falk, and uh, I'm sure he'll be happy about that. Hey, Gene, if you're listening. <laughs> Somebody's a fan. Uh, you got a couple of cis women here who are feeling it. So if you want to be um, a guest on. Oh, that would be fun. We can argue the Seattle free. I don't think. There, I don't well, think... I don't think he argues. I think his jam is uh, the numbers. Right. So his point, I guess for his point is because so many people are from somewhere else, then what is the Seattle freeze? If it is the thing is not necessarily a Seattle thing. I get that. Here's what I want. Here's what I but want. I don't Here's totally what I buy want. It. I want studies done. <laughs> studies. Oh, you know what? I bet you could actually do this with uh, Facebook uh, event data. If you looked at, I have a theory that the number of people that RSVP to a Seattle event, precisely half of that number will actually show up. 10%. It's less. In summer. Oh, summer. Sorry. Did not let you finish. (laughs) I will not eat your work. Go ahead. I don't know what the winter numbers are. Probably like staggeringly low. I think the By the Sound meetups could become a test for this. um, Let's challenge If we want to become rigorous about it. Oh, yeah. And then I want that compared to the numbers in... What are like co- comparatively sized cities? No. Omaha. <laughs> huh. Uh, Omaha. Ooh, sure. Ooh, I got, sure. I got, no, 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 no. Omaha's way too small. Oh, sorry. Uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg would be a great <laughs> wow. contrast as for a oh, yeah, uh, large control. metro because area that is yeah. of similar size in, in the, the, and area and, uh, weather difference so that would That's be awesome. yeah i don't yeah. think that gene's numbers and i'm i'm throwing down a gauntlet gene gene i don't think that gene's numbers are what we should be looking at i think we should be looking at uh my made up facebook study yeah it depends on what it is <clears throat> anecdotally speaking mm. because i've been director of lifelong learning for the past six and a half years and we do events People, more people respond yes than show up, and it's been about 10% for us. However, when I go to Seattle, uh, I live in Seattle. When I go to, to lectures in Seattle, mm-hmm. depending on who it is, they sell out. That's true. Joma sells out, Aluo, yeah. Lindy Pendy, sells out. Lindy sells out, Lindy West. Um, uh, yeah, so, so that's an, so people here like lectures. 
Um. Oh my God. And you know, as an introvert, one of my greatest fears is that there will be a situation where audience participation is required and I'm sitting in the wrong spot and it will be required of me. So if you go to a... up and I'm waving. Yeah. yeah. If you go to a town hall tried, lecture, then me. like, you know, that you're only going to be AP if you uh, uh, really want to ask a question. Yeah. And even and, then it's unlikely you're going to be allowed because there's like eight people in front of you. So yeah. And, and the guy at the mic is not asking a question, no. but telling a long anecdote that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with anyone involved. Yeah. And uh, somehow proves that he's <laughs> oh, not sick. racist because he marched with MLK. Oh my God! Can I tell you, Roxanne Dunbar? Chelsea? Yes. What are you grateful for this week? I'm grateful for the knowledge that the sun will come back. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like somebody who wants to live in a. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't. Here's the thing. I don't actually like the sun that much. I don't like the way it feels on my, like it hurts my skin when it, it touches me. It hurts. For real, the right? sun hurts. It hurts my body. Uh, I kind of have to be here. I can't, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, I'm going to move to LA and not be sad all the time. It's like, this is just, mm-hmm. I can move to LA and be in constant pain. <laughs> or... I can stay here and be in constant pain. Life is pain. It's true. And that concludes my gratitude segment. Sarah, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for Ijeoma Luo, who is the reason that I know both of y'all. And I did not meet both of you at the same time. I met both of y'all at different uh, gatherings that were hosted by Ijeoma. And as one who came to Seattle and took at least six, seven years and one divorce um, to find my people, uh, receiving invitations to events from Egeoma and mustering the energy to go mm-hmm. has been one of the most transformative things I've done in this town because I have always met the coolest people. And it is embarrassing to me how many of the people I know uh, that I feel comfortable and accepted and loved around are people that I only met because Ijeoma invited me to go to a thing. So that's uh, real. If you're listening, Ijeoma, thank you. Yay. We love you. What are you grateful for this week? Um, I am grateful for, <sighs> I'm grateful for my children who I got, they were home for the week. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, nice. <laughs> are they all coming down now? We're laughing at the foam coming down. I, it's, it's, I think the sunlight is hitting it. So they're warming up oh, like all of a sudden. Cute. So, cute. Uh, yeah, I'm grateful for a lot. I'm grateful to do this. This has been great. Thank y'all. Thank you. This has been By the Sound, a community invested podcast with the highest professional standards. <laughs> <laughs> This has been an Ahoy Hoy Media production. Ahoy Hoy!